Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. I'm also the Managing Director of B Squared. If you are a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of the Sendcast is simple. We want to reach lots of people and help everyone learn more about special educational needs and disability. In this episode, we're discussing Venn diagrams, icebergs, and the A to Z of SEND. And joining me in the discussion are one of my regular guests, Fintan O'Regan. Fintan has been a head teacher, lecturer for Leicester University, and now works as a trainer consultant for schools and school support systems. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help show the small sets of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress, we can help. And did you know you can use B-Square's assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time and money. And it also simplifies the whole data process. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me so I can take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing Venn diagrams, icebergs, and negotiating the A to Z of SEND. My guest is one of my regulars, Finton O'Regan, who's quite a king of acronyms in his own introduction. So Finton is a trainer and consultant for schools and school support services, including social services, health and the police and foster carers. For this, he worked with a number of organizations, including NASEN, Institute of Education, Leicester University, the UK ADHD Network and the European ADHD Alliance. Before this, he was a head teacher of a specialist school for students with ADHD, ASD and ODD. Welcome to the show, Finton. Thank you, Dale. Pleasure to be here. There are so many acronyms and so many also have different meanings depending on the context, such as SLT. As for example, as an SLT, we have discussed how our SLTs are supporting our pupils and how our SLT should report back to the SLT. And that makes perfect sense if you know both meanings. We use acronyms to simplify conversations and documents, reduce the number of words, and acronyms are also great for scanning text. So you can just skim straight through for SEMH and things like that. However, they can also be dangerous. We can simplify students down to an acronym or a couple of acronyms, and they might fit perfectly, but they often don't fully represent the child. Then decisions are made on that child based on incorrect assumptions around those acronyms. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just said such a uh, some really powerful things there. I just want to start off with a. You mentioned that I've been involved with quite a few anacronyms that I have, and at once one time I was the uh, I was the vice chair of of UCAP, which stood for the UK ADHD Partnership. But of course, a lot of the traffic we would come through on our internet and things were for UKIP, so it, it really did cause some difficulties for Ooh. our for our, our secretary dealing with some of the issues on ADHD versus other other factors that were pertinent to the world. So anacronyms are, as you say, can be can be both can be both useful and maybe sometimes sometimes not so. If we particularly some once upon a time, of course, we used to use in full behavior, we used to use a term which was EBD, which stood for emotional behavioral difficulties. Well, that really made no discrimination over 
children who were premeditated in terms of their behavior versus on those who were non-premeditated. So everyone would get, you know, labeled with the same term and then be put in an environment which, which was patently not suitable for some, but suitable for others. And that thankfully has changed now. And we have a different term for that, which is SEMH. That went through a whole process of we had we added the B to the ESB, and you know, but then it was SEBD and BESD and and sometimes EBSD, and and now we have social, emotional, and mental health. So I think we're getting there. And I think what we've made able been able to do within that term is to break it down a lot more into in terms of behavior, at least into what we see as being more premeditated behavior, which would be something called conduct disorder, non-premeditated behavior, which would be ADHD, and the pushback behavior, which is oppositional defiance disorder. Just one example of how labels can be both useful, but also can also generate more labels. So Dale is obviously laughing across the road here from me because we are trying to demystify the labels and not, and not increase them. But so it's, it's, a, it's a tricky subject, but I think it's one that we need to discuss in order to, because to, to really, what we're after really are the traits. We're after what are the needs of the child and how to best support them. And don't forget, all these traits, all these names we're talking about, some of them are England only. So it's SEND in England, it's ALN in Scotland, additional learning needs, but that covers more than SEN, so SEN is part of it. So we have these acronyms, and depending on where you are in the world, you have these different acronyms. And it is just, yeah, lots of fashion going on, lots of different languages and things like that. So, yeah, SEND is very much an English term. Everywhere else is SEN. Yeah, I, and you take the point. I, in, I was mentioning in Sweden, they use a term for dyspraxia and ADHD, which is called DAMP, D-A-M-P, for you know, developmental attention, motor perception. So, as you say, some acronyms can be very, can be very country-specific, as well as, in fact, there are some counties that I've worked with in England where they do use AL, AL, ALD and as opposed to SEN. So it's even within sort of regions, but you're right. It can be, it could be someone who was coming into this area from, you know, who wasn't involved in the SND or SND were, could be really rather confused. And then we have the Venn diagrams. <laughs> the Venn diagrams. I do like, there's a couple of entertaining ones on the internet. And it, one of them is, a, is that you have DJ and you have, bank robbers. And the overlapping part is them both saying, put your hands up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. Yeah. But it is. The Venn diagrams, hopefully everyone now knows what a Venn diagram is. It's two things which may have an overlap between them. Yeah, you'd be surprised. I, I would have thought that we all were, were familiar with it now, but this, you still get this, this conversation, particularly if someone is a non, I suppose it's a non-SEN or SEND teacher got me in that mode now of saying, oh, if you have one, but you can't have the other. And, you know, so you have dyslexia, you can't have ASC or you can't have, you, know, you can't have ADHD. Whereas we, most of us know within the SEN world, that overlap is the norm and not the exception. And although there will be some traits that some people may have more of, they will have traits that will also go into someone else's territory, so to speak, in terms of a label. And that, that used to be quite, quite difficult because once upon a time in the DSM-4, for example, if you had ASC, then you, you wouldn't be diagnosed as ADHD. Well, in DSM-5, this is the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Disorders, that has been changed right now. So these, these labels were really quite restrictive in to say that if you had one, you couldn't have the other. 
but there's still some people who who think of that. I think most people now, you know, in the SCN world are, are aware of that. And I do know that whenever I do my my presentations, as soon as I put a, a Venn diagram up, there's a everyone is happy because they you know, they we, we all need a Venn diagram. I just want to mention because you're using the acronym ASC. I am, and there again, that's a non-official title, isn't it, for ASD, and with the view that, and that a lot of people are using that now. Officially, of course, it's ASD, autistic spectrum disorder, but a lot of people are now referring to it as ASC, autistic spectrum condition, and that has been, that's really changed, I think, in the last couple of years, and and will be interesting to see what happens in the future with it. But I think what we're basically saying, it it isn't a disorder or a deficit, it is a condition or it's a style. And I think that's generally more more helpful. You're hope you're hopefully you're going to ask me about my ADHD re- rebranding. Would as that well, be the change in the D's in ADHD? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would be, Dale. We don't like deficit, we don't like disorder, but we do think developmental difference would be a lot more helpful. And don't forget there used to be an acronym of ADD. Correct as well, which is also attention developmental difference, just that the ones that don't have the hyperactivity. But yeah. Fashions, things come and go, and some fashions are purely fashion. So again, I forgot to mention special needs in Wales is ASN, additional support needs. So that's another one to add in. But some things are fashion, but some things like changing ASD to ASC and talking about changing the Ds, that is actually not a fashion for the sake of it. It's actually sort of going, actually, let's be more constructive with these terms. Let's be more supportive. Let's be less damaging with these terms. Yeah, very much so. And I think we, we, need to, we need to keep moving forward. And, you know, we do need to be making sure that we, based on the information, the research we have, the, the knowledge we have, the expertise we're gaining from working with people who are different and who have different learning needs and, and learning about some of the things that, that work and don't work, that we move forward and we, we are able to sort of say that these things aren't set in stone and, and, and we may need to redefine them again in the future because they may more accurately fit what, what, what the needs of the of people are. So I think, you know, it is, a, it is a forward. I mean, going back to my own area of ADHD, once put, it's been around for many years. It used to be called hypogenetic disorder, HD, but it was only taking on board then the most extreme ones who had, it, who had the hyperactivity. It, had, it wasn't taking you know, in any accommodation at all of those that might have the more inattentive, more, more hypoactivity type. So, you know, that's gone through an evolution. So other terms, I think, are up for grabs. I don't think we should be saying that, you know, something that we say now. I have a book, which is from the 1940s, which is the fourth edition, and it's called Teaching Backwardness, because that's what we used to refer to as children had problems with reading and spelling. It's a fourth edition from the 1940s, Teaching Backwardness. Well, I'm sure you would agree that we have progressed in some, some ways since then. But a lot of times, one acronym is an umbrella term for another load of acronyms. Yes, I think so. I mean, you know, there are some, I suppose this is what we're trying to do today is distill and demystify this. And particularly if you have a, if you have a, a teacher who is coming into the, the SND world for the first time. I mean, I was saying to you before, there's an A to Z of SEN, an acronym. There's about nine under A. I haven't got to the Bs yet. So it can feel really rather intimidating. So I think, you know, I think what we need to do is we do, do, do need to demystify and distill as much as we can. And I suppose in amongst all of these 
terms, we need to go to the top line, the ones that are most prevalent, I suppose, to start there, you know, so give people a baseline so which we can work with, you know, the real traits that are affecting people in terms of learning and, and behavior and socialization in our school settings. And there'll always be some people who will have a very specific, different area. So we need to be able to reach to them as well. But I think we need to go to the top line areas initially. I think that is, if we think of like the ASC, is that then gets split into, you get the PDA, you get the ODD, you get loads of acronyms going underneath there. And when your child might be diagnosed with autism, you might be going, they're not really that. And it's because you've got these umbrella terms which sit underneath and you might find it actually, oh, yeah, they're PDA, but that's not quite them. And one of the things dangerous is, is you're trying to find out which is the perfect acronym for my child, which is, a, which is the one I can stick on my child's head and go, that's his label, that's him done. Yeah, Whereas I mean, yeah, it's there, a spectrum. Yeah, it is a spectrum. And I, and I think if, if, if we look at it this way and we take this down a notch, because we get quite excitable, don't we, when we get into the <laughs> terms and labels. If you, so here's what I've seen. If, if you have pushback behavior and someone's got ADHD, you have the pushback behavior, it's, it's generally speaking, the then will be ODD, okay? Oppositional defiance disorder. If you have someone who has, who has ASC and they have pushback behavior, an acronym that's generally given to ASC, pushback behavior, is PDA, pathological demand avoidance. What you don't often see very rarely see is someone with pushback behavior with ADHD being called PDA and someone with ASC pushback behavior being classified as ODD. So what does that tell you? What it tells you, what it tells me at least, is that both ODD and PDA, although they are legitimate in terms of traits, you have to say, if that's what you're seeing, what it really means is the underlying needs for ASC are not being met. So that's why you're getting the pushback behavior and the underlying needs for the ADHD are not being met, which is why you're getting the ODD. What you don't see is ODD by itself or PDA by itself. Very rare. So they are secondary, if you like, examples or, or descriptions of behavior. So think about that a little bit and then Dale and tell me what you make of that. That's it again, because it is... We've done a podcast on PDA and what on earth is PDA? I'm not, I don't know much about ODD. I've done more of the autism world, so I'm not. So, but again, what I always hear when we talk about all of this is, is the trait. So there'll be ODD and PDA will have a lot of common traits. Yeah, there is some, there is some over, definite overlap in those, in those areas, but there's some different nuances in them as well. Yeah. So will there be a lovely Venn diagram for that? There, there would be a Venn, a, Venn, a Venn diagram for that. We, we're not quite sure when you're going to get these podcasts, so we'll have to be a little bit specific. But if you watch Wimbledon over the summer and you saw the, the tennis player Nick Curios play, that would give you lots of evidence of oppositional defiant disorder. Yes, yes. It was interesting just reading the news and I was like, because yeah, various things have come out in various headlines. I'm literally going, ticks a lot of boxes. Ticks a lot of boxes there. But that's the thing is, is you are literally, with all these acronyms, what you kind of need is you need a tick box. You need to tick all the ones your child fits under. Click on a calculate button. It goes, ah, oh, you've got ASC with rising PDA. Like a, like a, like a star sign thing. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, I, I think the word rising would, would, be, would be quite an unusual way of putting it. I think 
What I will say to you is that if we do not deal with those underlying causes of, you know, of need with ASC and ADHD, they, it, they won't remain in the same state. People will, who have those traits will become more frustrated and will become more you know, anxious and, and therefore will, become, will, will not just sit there and, and twiddle their thim- thumbs while, while it's going on. They, they will push back at some point. So you know, the, if there's any reason for us to get in early, to do the identification, to give the support, that would be, there should be many other reasons for doing it anyway. But if you don't, then it, you know, the, those traits that we're seeing now can be accelerating in different directions. So we need to be doing much as we can, as early as we can, to prevent that that frustration pushing back. Because for me, ODD in particular is frustration. An underlying cause is not being made, and therefore you're seeing a frustration coming out. And then, and then you've got this kind of anomaly where you've got oppositional refinement disorder is in the DSM five, and and PDA isn't. So you've got that kind of you know description as well. Although there is a society for PDA, and it's a pretty prolific and well organised and and lovely people who have children, have a, but there's not one for ODD, you know. So it, it's just kind of an interesting sort of dynamic. For those who haven't heard of DSM-5, let's just give me that in a sentence, for those who are new to that. It, it's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Not a very nice term, but it is generally both the descriptive and catalogue for all terms that are seen as psychiatric and mood and, and psychological differences. And it, it's, it's fifth edition is, is, is in print right now. And where's that from? Which organization? Yeah, it, it's, it's generally speaking, it's an American, I don't, I can't, it's the A, I can't remember the actual name of the title, but it's an American publication. So therefore it is formulated within the US. There is a World Health, I think it's the World Health Organization, which has, a, has, a, has an equivalent catalog. And it's, I think it's the, hey, I can't remember what it is now. It's in the fourth edition as well. But, um, but generally speaking, most people are using DSM, DSM-5. So, yes, if you've not heard of DSM-5, that's what it is. It's not just some small thing. It's a very big thing. It's used across the world for different things. So we talked about the Venn diagrams. The IC, I just remembered it is the ICD, International Classification of Diseases, which sounds even worse, doesn't it? So, but there's the ICD-4 or 5 or 6, whatever it is right there. But no one's using that term so much anymore. I like the word disease. I, I, I didn't think so. Yeah. need to do a podcast on changing yeah, the Ds yeah. in ICD. <laughs> yeah. So we've mentioned Venn diagrams. Yeah. Icebergs. Tell me about your icebergs. Well, I think our icebergs are really truly the other, the major point, isn't it? That all behavior is a message and what you're seeing on top is usually many other reasons lying beneath. And, you know, when what we're seeing, generally speaking, in a situation is somebody who's asking us for help. And I think, you know, what we do need to do is to say that whatever term is being used, whether, whether or not you like terms or whether you don't like terms, the traits are real. So if the traits are, traits are really what you're seeing at the tip of the iceberg, and what we need to do is, is to focus on, on what's causing those traits. And it's usually a combination of not understanding, if you like, the, the, the message and, and therefore digging down trying to get to understand what are, what are the triggers, what are really the, the things that aren't working and what could work instead. But most of us, I think, would agree with that analogy that most behavior is a message and we need to understand what it is. So if we go back to tennis, who was the runner-up? What's his name in Wimbledon? Yeah, he was Curios. His name was Curious. Nick, so, Nick Curious. yeah. 
at Wimbledon, you have to wear white. Yeah. He kept coming out with red trainers, red hats. That's a bit of a flag there. He got, he got angry because he was losing and demanded a woman who'd had 700 drinks to get kicked out of the center court. And she'd only drunk two. And swearing and various other things and some other news stories. And you sit there and you're seeing the top of that iceberg, aren't you? You're seeing a lot of behaviors. And there's a lot of stuff under that water. But what will happen is the media will judge him on the top of that. We'll always kind of moan at him and judge him on that. And nothing really, we don't actually, in the media, we don't think about what's under the line. We just look at how it's presented. And Katie Price is another one. You see a lot of her behaviors. Katie Price, good old Jordan. There's a lot of behaviors from her. The son seemed to religiously follow whatever she does and publish it. And you're reading it and I'm literally going, this isn't healthy. But again, all we're doing is watching and mocking. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's an argument, isn't there, that certain people almost encourage the limelight. They encourage that spotlight. They are doing it for all sorts of reasons, which are, you know, selfish and everything else. But yet, you know, there is always a person at the, you know, be, be behind that and whatever. And generally speaking, as you will probably appreciate, those people aren't generally happy. And yeah. even though you might have motivations, which your attitude, you think those people are selfish and self-righteous and just doing it for the, for the money or for the limelight, they are generally unhappy people. And if you take certainly the, 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 Katie Price, I think you would say that generally speaking, her life has been obviously one of a, you could say roller coaster. I don't yep. know her. I don't follow that it, 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 in detail, but generally speaking, there is a person there who's generally unhappy and has made a lot of choices, which I think have, have created, you know, her, her own happiness and maybe happiness of other people around her as well. But it, most of that is a, is a, you know, call it a cry for help, call it a, 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 you know, uh, you could call it lots of different things, but there's a person underneath there. And I think, I don't think she's ever really had the, the right support or the right advice in order to, to, to basically deal with those issues that lie, that, that lie sort of within her, with, within her, which we, we, we don't see, we only see the bit on the surface, which, you know, is, is not really, you know, it, there's many other facets to her character, I think, that, that are screaming out for help. I think every, every single one of us is an iceberg. Yeah, so what I get from Finton is what she shares in the office, what he shares on the podcast. I know so much. I don't know any of the causes underneath. I know he's still not as fast as his um, mum at running. A <laughs> um, couple of other little anecdotes from Finton. But it is, we're all icebergs, yeah? So when you're talking to the parents and they come in and they're struggling with their child, you're just seeing the top of it. There's lots underneath that you're probably never going to really find out. And, and part of that iceberg that they have may prevent them from sharing information about their child. So you never fully understand their child's iceberg. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're working with parents, I think they're, they're obviously trying to present, they're usually coming to you because they want you to help, help them with their child. Whereas there may well be aspects of that meeting where you are very tempted to say you kind of need to help yourselves. The problem is, is that the, that's not usually the sort of, that's not usually, you don't usually have the time or you don't necessarily feel that you have the, the authority to, to do that. But yet 
if we put the child at the centre of what we do need to be doing, it may well mean that that conversation with the parents, maybe not by you, but with someone else in your organisation, may need to take place. Because as you say, what you're seeing is, and you've only got a you've only got eighteen percent of the year with the child, and it's for a lot more time where the parents have the child. So if you think there's issues going on at home, and you suspect that there's issues that could be resolved by some degree of support, it's probably the right thing to do is to is to sort of register that and and maybe support tell it to someone who can. Definitely. So one of the things you've written in your notes here, which I like, is quality versus quantity of terms. Yeah, I suppose I was indicating before that. There are some terms out there that might have more validity than, than others. And, and I came across a, a book recently, which was just written by someone who used to be involved with Nason. And it's a, I can't remember, Adam Bonnison and his, his partner, uh, someone else who wrote it with him. But it was, it was called Dual and Multiple Exceptionality. And it's called DME. And I just thought, well, what, what, is, what is DME? And I looked in the book and it was basically talking about people who had kind of high functioning skills but had SEN difficulties, so they weren't realising their potential. So I remember thinking, oh, what does that remind me of? And I remember thinking, oh, that's, it's kind of what we used to call able, gifted, and talented. And able, gifted, and talented about 15, 20 years ago was, was very much all the rage, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was, there was lots of things on it and stuff. And then, then all of a sudden it sort of, then it went gifted and talented and then it kind of disappeared. And, and so you think, well, why did it originate and why did it disappear? And, and, and why is it back again? So, so that was my question, really. And I'm not dispelling, I'm not disputing the fact that able, gifted and talented doesn't exist or DME doesn't exist. Or, or, but I just wonder if we've got room for another term which seemed to be here in one form has now disappeared and has now come back in a different form. And whether or not that's going to confuse people or infuse people, maybe it will do the... Maybe it will do the latter. Maybe it will be, maybe it's a better term than some of the ones that are here originally. But, you know, I just, my point is that at some, we need to be, I think at some point talking about, you know, we can't be following every trend, everything that comes up and running with them. I mean, I mean, mindset, I think, was a very useful phenomenon. It's, it, it came. I think it stayed. I think people do talk about fixed and growth. But, you know, so maybe it's been embedded in our culture, which is a good thing. But, yeah, I just worry about the DME sort of flavor taking place and other terms emerging from there and people getting even more confused. But you kind of said there that, that high functioning, or high, but with SEND, okay. Also sounds a little bit like Asperger's, which has also disappeared off the radar. Yeah, but Asperger's at least it was there for a long time, and I think people still use it as a as a way of discriminating aspects of ASD. So it's under the ASD spectrum. But I see that's a good idea, I think, because not so much that Asperger's disappeared, but the fact that we've we, we've reduced it on because it was Asperger's and it was ASD, and that was confusing. So I think we're talking about it being a spectrum and an AS what we used to call Asperger's, formerly known as Asperger's, being the higher functioning ASC. And I think we're okay with that. But what, what, I, what, I, what I agree with you is that we don't need another, if Asperger's goes, we don't need a DME and ASC. That's my point. But I've also, I, I, I've met people whose who's child's been diagnosed with ASC, ADHD, dyslexia, and something else. It's like, that's a lot going on. 
But I, they, they're all, all three of those are neurodiverse traits. Yeah, they are. There's, and the, I mean, there are some people, I think, who, you know, there is no limit on how many, how many Venns you can have in your Venn diagram, really. You could have, you could carry on Venning all day long. But I think what you do need to do is, is to sort of say, look, but you're, not, but you're not collecting terms either like rings or something. Like, you, you like, are, like your arm on your cubs uniform yeah, yeah. with your badges. Yeah. yeah, you're not trying to collect them. I think what you're trying to do is, is find what are the most accurate way of describing the traits that need support. And I think in most cases, it's, it's a combination of people who, I think if we drill right down, it's people who, who, who may have some specific learning differences in how they process stuff. I think it might be some people who have some difficulties with impulse control, and it might be some people who find, who are very literal and, and tend to be quite inflexible when they're stressed. I mean, when I do, if I'm doing talks now on, particularly if I'm asked to do talks on ASC or, or and sometimes combinations of ASC and ADHD, if I'm talking about working with children with ASC, I say, look, and I've got some teachers there who are new to the term. I'll say, look, this, in my opinion, there are three golden rules. So they get their pens out to write them down. And I say, no, num- number one, reduce the anxiety. Then I'll leave a pause. Then I'll say, and number two, their pens are pointed. I'll say, it's reduce the anxiety. They've, they've written reduce now, and then they've sort of cottoned on to the fact, oh, it's the same as number one. And then I'll say, guess what number three is? And, you know, I think what we want to try and do is we want to not, not diminish the fact that, that it's not good for us to push back and find out different ways, but we want to we demystify, we want to help support. And I think the simpler we can make things, the, the better. As an initial start, doesn't mean that's going to solve everyone's issues. By no means does that mean that's going to meet all the needs of children that have, have ASC or ADHD. But we need to start off by, you know, giving some basic tools for people to work, particularly for those non-SEN teachers or, or more subject teachers who are a bit intimidated by what they see as this whole plethora of, of terms and, and, and ways of describing people. It can feel very intimidating and, and, and a bit scary. I think we did, we've done a podcast before on labels and things like that. And it is a lot of, if you did a Venn diagram of various different things, you'd probably end up with a very core, big overlap of these are things you can do which support everyone. And every child is in that, side, that, is in that part. Pretty much. I think there's some basics that wouldn't go amiss. And I think maybe all the traditional learners could, could work with that you're going to get some very specific issues of, of Tourette's and tics and, and issues that have had attachment issues and fetal alcohol. And there's going to be very, some very specific differences, maybe in dyscalculia, you know. But, but I think if you were to say that a lot of aspects of dyspraxia overlap with ADHD, there's a lot of overlaps with, with, in terms of memory and in terms of processing, which you could also overlap with. So there's lots of overlap you can make. I used to sit on a, on a, on a special needs consortium in London and it had people who were representing all sorts of different organizations. And it wasn't, it wasn't just a, a neurological, it was physical issues such as downs and, and, and all sorts of issues. So there's probably about 30 or 40 different representations on that meeting. And some of them were, were, were multiple associations for the same term. So you'd have ones from ASC, but they would be multiple different organizations representing different, yeah. different aspects of that. 
And I used to think the chairperson of that meeting was the most amazing chair because to come up with some consensus for us to move forward in terms of policies, it was, a, it was basically a government agency. It was very, very difficult because everybody was very specific in their own area and they wanted you know, resources to go into their own area. And what I used to find very interesting was that the, 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 even, even those that had the common term they were the ones that were like, kind of like at conflict the most, you know. And and I think it's it a lot of this. I think we just need to put if we just put what's best for the child at the centre. Always think that what is best for the child, not so much for the term or the organisation or or whatever. What's the best for them? And I think if we could come up with a, you know some concerted plan, but I I can't see how that would happen. But that's where I think we need to get to the top line issues that affect. The majority of students who are who are neurodivergent and see about helping them, and then we then need to also make sure we we meet the needs of the others who have more specific issues. I think sometimes just using an acronym. So, oh yeah, my my son's got is on the, is AS, ASC. Cool. I still have no idea because it's a spectrum. It's huge. So just saying when you say someone's got ASC, ADHD, and dyslexia, I'm still going. I have no idea because is it they 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 have all of the traits from all of those, or is it actually they have ten percent of the traits from ASC, ten percent of the traits from ADHD, and ten percent of the traits from dyslexia? What does it say? And I generally, when it's this, it's like let's move past the acronym to actually tell me about your child, tell me what it is they actually struggle with. Yeah, I think that's that's the main thing. I think you you drill down to what are the traits, what are the things that what can what what does he have difficulties with, what's he what was he good at. And how can we can support them? But I suppose people listening are saying, yeah, that's not happening in reality because our systems are very geared towards certain, certain things. And, and they are. Um, and I suppose what we need to do is before we can get to that level of traits, I guess what, what we don't need are other terms coming in and, and sort of, you know, putting even more confusion into the marketplace, I think, really. And I, maybe the word marketplace is the wrong word to use. I don't mean to use it that way. It's mean just into the sort of like the culture that we have right now. Well, it is a bit of a marketplace. You were on that sort of thing with all the different, if you had still had the DME association yeah. turn up, yeah. like, what are you covering? Yeah. Why, what, what, where, where you have an acronym or a term which specifically describes something, yeah, then there's a reason for that. If, if it's a, sometimes it's a marketing thing. Sometimes it's a, it's an acronym for the sake of an acronym. It's it's combining these three things. But if it's if it is it needed, is it really helping anyone? I suppose that the answer to that is that the you know that going back to the, the fact that you get people this thing about person first versus term first. You know yeah. that. So I, is is there a? I I used to say it's people with ADHD or people and and. But people say, no, I'm an adder, you know, so people want to be identified. I have that. That's, that's me. That's who I am. That makes me who I am. So I think you have to be looking at what the person, I suppose, is, wants to be referred to. I think that's something. So there are there ASC people or are there people with? So I think we have to be, I'm not sure we're at that point where we come up with a policy on that or, or we can have an opinion on it, but I don't think. The one thing you would find is that you, I've never met anyone who wants to be an odder. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there are certain terms that are more 
I suppose, you know, they're, they, they, they've got a higher value than others. But I've never met anyone who says, oh, I'm an odder. Maybe Nick Curious might want to be an odder, but, you know, he's, you know, and we're just basically speculating on the fact that there could be many other reasons why. I was just saying that his, his sort of behavior does show some of the characteristics of that. A lot of things is, I am, I am autistic. Yep, there are things like that. You wouldn't say, I'm a person with deafness. True. True, and that's that's the that's the argument of of that that particular approach. You know, I go back to the fact that I think it's identity first, person first. I think it needs to be. Apparently, I think it was a, a, a previous podcast. It's somebody was on down that they have Down syndrome. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, it's it's not a set rule. It is very much person specific. But sometimes, again, is I would say I think is I I am autistic or. They, they they are is better than the person with autism, but some people who are autistic prefer the term with autism. But that might be where they are on a journey. It might be right now they prefer it because they've been recently diagnosed and things like that. Or there could be many reasons. So whatever rule you find, you'll find someone being an exception. You will, and I, and I think certain things, you know, go through. Let's face it, certain things are. are Sometimes seen as an excuse, and then they're seen as an explanation. Sometimes they're seen as a stigma. Sometimes they're seen as being rather sexy. You know, I would say that, and I think if something becomes more, you know, more sexy, so to speak, then people want to be identified with it. And and as opposed to when it's a stigma, then they are a person who has struggled to find their way because of this. And then if we start to use, I mean, the terminology is, you know, is we're now moving to this point where it used to be a problem or a condition or a deficit, and now it's a gift and it's a superpower. Yeah. Well, you can see how that's kind of changing the dynamic about how the term then fits people. If something's a superpower, you want to be associated with it. Or it's a, if something is a deficit or a disorder, you're probably less likely to want to be associated with it. So I think it's also, you know, a little bit of how that term is more positive language. More positive using. language and, and everything else. I mean, I always say to my my daughter always says, I, you know, I said to her, Kendall is is that's her name. I said, it is is dyslexia a gift? So she said to me, Dad, if it's a gift, Dad, I'm going to give it back. Is what she said really, because for her, it's been a struggle. It's been something. It's been a bit of a conflict for her to have to sort of try and do what other people did naturally. You know, you know, she had to put twice as much effort in in order to, to write that report, to, to read the research, to do it, then may her friends did. It's not a gift. She does see it sometimes now slightly differently in that she's now bought into the fact that it gives her other skills, which I think it does. But again, you know, it, it, the perception of this will be very much, I think, down to A, the individual, and B, how society is, is viewing it. And I think I mean, maybe it's you who told me this, but I think now LinkedIn, for example, I think dyslexia is now seen as a, you know, those skills that you have in order to register your skills in terms of problem solving and everything else. That wasn't me, but that's yeah, interesting. So they've now regarded it as a skill set to have dyslexic thinking. I think it's dyslexic thinking, they've said, is now a skill set, which, you know, that's a positive, I think. Is it, is it something that's a gift? Don't know. I don't know. Someone else will have to tell me what they think about that. We both went to the dyslexia show and I was talking to someone there whose husband was an engineer. 
and he didn't know he was dyslexic. I think he was helping her record some stuff and just listen to lots of conversations and went, why was a bloke telling you about this? And I can't remember what it was, but it was about kind of seeing things in 3D in his head. Well, why was he telling you about that? And she's like, oh, yeah, because hardly anyone can do that. He was like, no one can do that. He's like, no, no. And it was at that moment, that's kind of when it started joining up that he was dyslexic because he could visualize something in 3D in his head. And at work, it took him under half the time of everyone else to do something. He could never work out why everyone else was so slow. So he could do the job much better than everyone else because he was dyslexic. In that situation, it was a superpower. All the way through education, where the system, the education system is neurotypical and we have to do exams because it's the quickest way of judging someone, it does not work. Yeah, I mean, I think we could, we're in choppy waters here, but we're not going to, we're not going to avoid grasping the nettle, by the way. I'm sorry for all the metaphors, by the way, if we have got SD people. But here's the, here's the issue that you could argue that as an adult in particular cases, I've met some people now who are amazingly creative and, and, and have, you know, done amazing things with their life. Some of them are in this room and who, who actually, you could say that, you know, the aspects that they have in terms of their characteristics, you could say it is a superpower for them. But I think what we could say is that having, being different and having these attributes is generally speaking, not a superpower at school. With school going more for, going more for compliance than for difference. So if, so I suppose the argument really is that it, 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 it can be, not during, generally speaking, during the school years. I think most parents and most children would say it's not been a superpower at school, but it may have been a superpower and gift as they've been an adult. Yeah. I think when you've got to do maths the correct way and show all your workings, if you can get the answer in 10 seconds flat in your head and write it down, not interested, you've got to do it the really slow, painful way, which takes you 10 minutes. That's the way you've got to do it. And you feel literally going, why am I wasting 10 minutes of your my life I, I still like when I watched Goodwill Hunting. You've seen that film? I have. Yes, I have. I have. Brilliant film. Matt Damon is a very gifted mathematician. And it was when he sat there and goes, I did it this way. And he goes, you can't do it this way. He goes, it's all right. I've written it out so you can understand it. And he was just a kid. And these were the smartest mathematicians in the world. And I, I wasn't at that level. But there were times at secondary school where I just got it and I had to explain it to teachers and it took them a while. And it is just realizing that we are built, some people are built differently. And there are things I struggle with and there are things I do not struggle with. And also hearing Matt Damon going, and I loved it. He said, when Mozart looks at a piano, he saw music, he just played. And there's the um, Elton John film. Mm, mm. He just... He heard someone playing the piano. Mm. And have you seen it, the Elton yeah, John film? Have, yeah, then yeah. he just sits down at the piano and plays it. And she went, Why have you stopped? You went, Because that's as far as you got. He just could do it. And there are things that some people can just do. And then there are some things you just can't. And there are things I can do amazingly well. And at the moment, I am going through an ADHD diagnosis. And we'll see how that goes at the moment. But there are things I can do amazingly well, and then there are things I struggle with. But it is going to be really interesting to go on that journey and find out what that means for me. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a journey that I think some people have arrived at earlier than later than others. But I think it's an important journey for, for everyone to understand how they work, what makes them work, and to a certain extent, how they can deal with some of the positives and negatives of their own personality. And I think as much as we're speculating right now, you know, in how we don't recognize and we don't think, I mean, I think we are so much better now, I think, in, in our school system than we were. We go back to where we were with backwardness and now with dyslexia. And, and it, you know, with 30 kids, with the time we have, it is impossible for us to always to identify, you know, some of those different nuances and, and different rhythms in people. But I think, you know, but we are getting better. We do want to improve. And, and, I, and I suppose what we need to do is we just need to make sure that we, in order to do that, we don't, we don't overcomplicate things either. That's what I worry about with the terms and the labels. I think we just, we need to, we need to not stay still, but we just don't need to flood, flood the market. If we go back to the market with too many descriptors, which are, you know, already, there's enough already in place, I believe, to, to, to cover the traits. And I just think it will you know, and then setting up a society towards one thing may take away resources from another. So I suppose, you know, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm contradicting myself because we do need to advance. But what I worry about are some things I think have more credibility than others. And I think we need to just go with the, the top line ones at the moment, particularly at this time when, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world and there's a lot of sort of money's quite short and and we need to be helping people now and, and but, you know, and, and, and turning, turning the lives around. It's, it's been, a, been a tough period for everybody. So anyway. Before we end, I've just looked at the notes and there's a, just a little bit here you've written, which I just want to touch on, is expectation of parents. And that is a really big thing because I, 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 I know of, of, again, social media, lots of schools saying the same sort of thing. Charles being diagnosed with ASC. Do I put them on the SEM register? The parents have said they're entitled to this, this, this because of the diagnosis. That's not true. ASE is a difference and it's how different, how different from the norm, how different from what is being provided in that particular classroom will decide if they go on the SEM register. The first part is quality first teaching. And if that teacher can support that child and their needs and their traits all on their own that child doesn't need to go into the SEM register there is no nothing else happens just because they've got a diagnosis doesn't mean it basically means that child is quite lucky that it's not impacting them very much for another child who might not even have the diagnosis but those traits are very there's a lot to them and big impact they will go on the SEM register and they might get the AHCP and there might be additional support and go off to a different it is a spectrum. And I think one of the dangers with such a having a big umbrella term as ASC is you, where does my child fit in this umbrella? What am I, that's what I realize is sometimes it's such a big umbrella. People are not quite sure what it means. Yeah. And I think, I suppose, and, and going back to what we're really trying to achieve here, if we really want to get what you're saying, quality first teaching, and the idea that every teacher is a teacher of SEN, which is really going to be important. I mean, it's not just the specialists, it's everyone's job. I think you're going to have a much better 
chance of getting that by minimizing and, and distilling and, and simplifying the, the terms. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll people who are interested will absorb it. Other people just say, well, look, this is just, just I can't do that as well as everything else. I suppose it is about that. And if we can do that, like oh, we're saying, we, we, another, we don't need a diagnosis to give someone a visual timetable. You, you don't need a diagnosis to give someone a tangle tool or to allow movement breaks. You don't need to do that. You just need people with the confidence to actually try different things for different types of learners. I suppose it's, it's, it's just where you fit on the spectrum, whether these symptoms are, you know, to a certain extent, mild, the, that can a classroom teacher can accommodate, whether they're moderate, where you need some form of intervention, maybe sometimes, or where they are, they are more, more severe. So I think, you know, and, and I think, and just because I suppose you have a term doesn't necessarily mean you need to use those services that other people may well need. But what I don't think you need is, what I don't think you need is, is, is parents coming to you saying, oh, there's this term here, which have you not read about this? This fits my son's needs. Because I just don't think that's going to help in the long term. You can't possibly be as, how can I put it? You can't possibly as read as much about the child you're working with than the parents may have done. And if they're getting all these other forms and terms and, and, and recommendations, then I, I just think the expectations that the parents may have on you will, 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 will be unrealistic, is my point. And you, you've got to go with what you see as a professional. Is the whole masking thing. But you can go into a rabbit warrant of different symptoms, different presentations, different this. The parents could be looking for that. My daughter will often send me a message on a thing going, I just saw this video on TikTok. Am I bipolar? No. Just saw this message on TikTok, this video. Am I this? And it's sometimes they're looking for things. They're looking so so it's it's, it's always got to be a relationship between the school and the parent. And you've got to listen to each other, but it's also you've got the child. You've got to see what the child's doing, how the child's presenting. And if they are masking, because they could be masking the other way around. And you're right about the, the dangers of TikTok, if you like, really. I can say that, you know, the, there's been, a, there's been a, a complete explosion, particularly amongst teenage girls now, on questioning themselves. In, in all sorts of terms. And, and one, ADHD has been the, a big TikTok phenomenon too. And it's interesting you mentioned bipolar because I predict that's going to be the next term that we're going to be hearing a lot more of because of TikTok and because it's become a, a flavor of the month a bit in other countries as well. And I say flavor of the month, which doesn't mean that the term doesn't exist. It does exist. It's got a lot of legitimacy for it, but possibly being used in a way that it wouldn't have been used three or four years ago. So I think you know, this, this argument, I suppose, about, you know, about us, we, there needs to be some guardianship, if you like, or some degree of screening or some degree of moderation by someone in order to narrow this, this, this area, because otherwise I just see it becoming a bit, a bit of a, you know, a, a bit overwhelmed by, by all sorts of terms we haven't even thought about yet you know, which someone might create. And, and therefore, I think we could, you know, some people could get lost in the crush or the rush. And it will be sometimes the parents who do, you know, make the most noise, so to speak, who, who make the most, who have the skills, if you like, to push their case forward, who will get the benefit of that. 
really. And just to touch on TikTok, there is, is being autistic is is quite a trend on TikTok. And so there are those who are autistic. But there's also those who pretending want, who want to be. Yeah, who want to be. And that's what I said before about something becoming, you know, sexy versus yeah. versus a stigma. And it and and you know, when things do tend to go through from, you know, one end of the pendulum to the other end, and they find a way in the middle. You know, and I think we would do that. And I, I don't want to end up a negative drug. So I do want to say it sounds like I'm being negative on parents. I'm really not because it's really parents who, it's actually really parents who have actually got dyslexia, uh, autism and ADHD to where they are today, really. It was parent power, really, who did identify that, you know, didn't, didn't accept backwardness or didn't accept those reasons that, you know, that he or she was lazy, who, who basically drove, if you like, policy towards change, you know, which has now benefited many people, you know, both now and, in, and will in the future. So I'm certainly not, I'm not diminishing the role of parents in this. But what I am saying is that we just need to be a bit careful about too many new labels, which may well, just, well, may, may well distract us from dealing with core issues. And it's also when you are that parent and you are researching, it's source of information so it's thinking about so as i said so autism is very popular on tiktok and you'll have people who film meltdowns or film things you're going it's quite lucky the camera was set up there was a nurse on tiktok recently who lost a patient and i'm using lost a patient in air quotes because she filmed herself in the corridor and then started crying you're going so you managed to set the camera up and then had a cry tourette's is quite a popular one on tiktok and your child might watch that or you might watch that and go, oh, that's just like my child. But are you watching someone who is or is pretending? And there's, it's a, there's a lot more. And I think we grew up in a time where what you saw was what was real. We're now in that time where what you see is made up, it's deep fake, it's various things. You've got to just, there's got to be more research and a couple of videos it's time, it's talking to people. So saying, I'm thinking, not saying my child is, but saying I've seen this, I'm thinking my child might be, what do you think? Rather than saying it is, be a more, I think, might possibly, here are the reasons. Yeah, not everything you see, not everything you read is, is accurate. And you need to also look at what's the motivation behind it. I read recently that the Irish accent, not that I have one, is the world's most attractive accent. Now, I used to think it was the French, but it's not. It's the Irish accent. But you know who I read this in, uh, Dale? You know who I read this study? Would that be in the Irish Times? It, no, it was very close. It was in a Ryanair brochure. So, you know, it's the same sort of thing. So well done. It is about who has the motivation behind it. So therefore, I think, you know, we all know and understand marketing, but then sometimes we get a little blind to it. And there's a couple of areas we get a bit blind. And one is when it comes to with him. We become a bit, become a bit blind. I think sometimes, you know, with regards to our, you know, our own, our own sort of things that were precious to us, and and nothing's more precious to us than our children. And you know, that's quite right that we are, you know, going to do everything we can for them. But also, what we're trying to do long term is give them the best support we can, and that sometimes is is about sometimes not. You won't always. Be objective about it. I think that's the point. And someone else might need to just steer you in a direction that might be more beneficial than others. 
I think it's, it's, you can go really interesting in this and this whole bit is, um, I think it's called Atypical Program in the US about a boy who's autistic, but he's kind of getting up to going to college. But his, his mum has spent the last 10 years helping him and she was having problems letting go. It's like, well, who am I? And I think, I think there is a thing that if you have spent the last however many years supporting your child, it's kind of, that's what I do. And it's, it's time changes. And in reality, you want them to live life without you. But you've had a much closer bond for a much longer time than other parents because you've had to support them. And stepping back can be very hard. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I know and that's, and how do you, you know, how long's a piece of string on that? I just think, you know, I use this SF3R as program, as you know, structure, flexibility, rapport, relation, and resilience. And resilience is, 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 is when, if you've done the other things well, then by this stage, then they should be more resilient. And that, but what we need to be doing is, and this is true both in schools and at home, we need to be making children independent and not dependent. And, you know, some people will take longer than others to get to that point, but that's the idea, you know, and taking the stabilizers off. There's a really good thing on resilience by a guy called Ken Ginsberg, which if you contact me, I'll send you, called giving, giving your child roots and wings. And I think it kind of says it all, really. You give them the roots, but then you, you give them the wings to fly away as well. You know, and that's what, that, that's what resilience really means, I think. It can be really helpful to do that. But, yep, you know, we need to be making them need to take stabilizers off at some point. I like that roots and wings. I like that. Because my, my daughter, my eldest, is off to college. Like, oh, I'll take you to college. And I had to stop myself. I was like, no, no. Go find it yourself. It's your college. It's your life. You're 16. Go get on a train and go find it yourself. However, she's issue with germs and things. So we went through some things. But it was very much is, I'm going to give you some tips, but I'm not coming on this journey with you. This is you. I hope I never go apart from parents' evening, but I hope, which might even be online, I hope to never enter that building in reality because I want that to be her thing that she's taking on. I'm always going to be there supporting her. So we're doing stuff this summer. She's got to learn JavaScript. She's doing loads of other stuff. So I'm helping her. But she's got to walk through and it's like she wants to get a job. She goes, can you come with me? I went, well, no, because you are getting a job and they're employing you. If I walk in and say my daughter wants a job, they're not going to you've got to go in there and it's realization that my daughter being 16 is suddenly at this level that i'm letting her go seems quite early it, it, it does seem quite early and it's scary and, and what will happen is, is as all parents know is that when she gets to 18 you know you've been she's been so dependent on you for all this time if she needs to if you're worried about her mental health or whatever you can't talk to the doctor about her she has to talk to the doctor about her which is why we go with giving them roots and wings. So she has the skill set to go to the doctor to talk about her. Because you, and that's a revelation for some parents who think, hang on a minute, this is my child. I've been doing this for the last 17 years. Now you're saying you can't speak to me? Well, no, because she's an adult and therefore she needs to, she needs to contact her herself. You can't be serious. You sound like John McEnroe now. But the point is that you, you can't. And the other thing, of course, to tell all parents, you, I've maybe mentioned to you before, the most important thing that all parents of teenagers need to listen to, in my opinion, are the words of Mark Twain. Because Mark Twain said, when I was 14, I thought my parents knew nothing. But when I got to 21, I was surprised to see how much they'd learned in seven years. 
So all teenagers <laughs> think their parents don't know very much. But when they get to 21, they start to realize that you actually know quite a bit about insurance and getting mortgages and things like that. So all parents should hear the words of Mark Twain on that one, particularly of teenagers. I like that one. I've not heard that one. Excellent. So, end of the podcast. As always, Finton's given me some links. So that'll all be in the show notes as always. Always, thank you for coming to the show today, Fintan. Pleasure, as always, Dale. And always, you'll find the show, the show notes and all that information and, con- and Fintan's contact details wherever you listen to the podcast or on our website. Thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can follow us on social media. On Twitter, we're at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. On Instagram, The Sendcast. And also, let everyone know about the podcast. And if, as a school, you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to find out what is available from us, have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting to find out how we can help you. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. If you're a school in England, still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key stage standards or anything else around assessment, get in contact. You can also find out about our online training, our conferences, our, read our blog, watch our webinars, and so much more. It is all on the B-Squared website. You will find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes alongside all the Finton stuff. And you can also drop me an email. My email address is dale at bsquared.co.uk. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from Dale. And Finton. Bye.